Hey everybody and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. Joining me as always is Billboard's deputy editor digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi Katie. Oh hey Keith. How are you? Great, yourself? I am spiffy because the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got Coming Around Again with Billboard.com Senior Associate Editor Andrew Unterberger. Andrew will be chatting with staff writer Chris Payne about the 10th anniversary of Plain White Tee's Hey There Delilah hitting number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The guys chat about Chris's recent Throwback Thursday piece about the song and the band's strange evolution from power pop warp tour regulars to unlikely emo pop chart toppers. I like that turn of phrase there. <laughs> unlikely emo pop chart toppers. <laughs> um, but first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode and give us a rating or review while you're at it. By the way, we actually do read those reviews. We really, truly do. <laughs> if you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield or at KT Atkinson. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. So, Katie, fun fact, did you know that Hey There Delilah is the only number one on the Billboard Hot 100 from the Disney Music Group? Uh, no, I did not know that. I, and you probably didn't even think this was even like a Disney record, did you? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Well, it was on Hollywood Records, and Hollywood Records is an imprint, is a label of the Disney Music Group. Actually, I think the song was actually on Hollywood through Fearless Records, because they were originally on Fearless Records, then I think they got upstreamed somehow through Hollywood. Oh, these things happen. These things happen. So it was on Hollywood. Um, and Hollywood is one of Disney Music Group's labels, which also includes Walt Disney Records. And in total, Disney Music Group has just reached number one once with Hey There, Delilah. There have been songs on Hollywood and Walt Disney Records that came close to number one, like Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody on Hollywood Records in 1992 when it was reissued uh, in association with Wayne's World. Um, and then Adina Menzel's Let It Go, of course, from Frozen, which was on Walt Disney Records, reached number five. But wait, Keith... Didn't A Whole New World from Aladdin go to number one? Well, it did. And I'm glad that you (laughs) asked about this. But that song, and I was curious too. I'm like, wait, isn't that a Disney song? Well, it was from a Disney movie. It was from Aladdin. But that single was released on Columbia Records. Not Uh, Hollywood. Not Disney. Who knew? Hmm. Well, now it's time to hear all about Hey There, Delilah on Coming Around Again. Hello and welcome to Coming Around Again, Billboard's anniversary theme podcast celebrating milestone anniversaries in the music world. Uh, this week we got coming up in a couple days uh, the anniversary, 10 years, of the Plain White Tees Hair There Delilah hitting number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, maybe, not the, maybe not the busiest week for anniversaries, but uh, you know, this, this is a, a song that, you know, the, it, it was a very unexpected hit at the time and it was a... It was a song that a lot of people made like a very personal connection to, and I've always been a pretty big fan of it. So uh, here to talk about it with us, we have a special in-house guest, Chris Payne. What's up, Chris? Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I think this is your first uh, first coming around again appearance. It is. It is. 
Uh, Chris, of course, is uh, both our go-to rock writer here at Billboard and the host of the acclaimed Alternative Facts podcast. Uh, what do you got going on on the podcast this week, Chris? Uh, this week, I'm going to be really busy hustling around Panorama Festival or this weekend. Uh, Pine Grove, I'm going to be talking to. All right. Future Islands, and uh, maybe a couple others who I can't say yet because publicists might get mad at me because they haven't even said yes to my interview yet. I don't know. Personally, I think it's a little shade towards Pine Grove and Future Islands. You can you can just kind of drop them as like the opening acts, but like like the big events. Uh, yeah, you, you gotta gotta keep those under lock and key for. for oh yeah, those those artists who are playing the opening hours of <laughs> Panorama Music Festival that yeah. I'm going to be hunting down in the press section for interviews beforehand. Oh, that's very exciting. And, and in the meantime, uh, I think this week you're debuting a, a new Throwback Thursday column that uh, I believe was the inspiration for, for this podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not really sure what came first, the chicken or the egg, <laughs> me wanting to write about plain white teas or me wanting to start this column. But yeah, it's the start of it. And uh, I'm not really sure what form it'll take as it goes on every Thursday on billboards.com. Maybe it'll just be constant where have they been updates on MySpace bands? Maybe it'll just be far-reaching across the industry. Who knows? But the first one is uh, going up t- uh, today, I guess. Then when this, when you're hearing this podcast, should be live now. My 10-year retrospective piece on Hey There, Delilah going to number one. And, and what specifically about Hey There, Delilah like interested you in writing about it again? I mean, the scene that it came out of was just like what got me into music in the first place and what got me serious about music writing and the music industry or just even going to concerts a lot and spending money on things like CDs and band shirts, like that whole Warp Tour, alternative press, bamboozle kind of pop punk, post-hardcore scene is what, even though a lot of people might not think of it from the sound of Hey Hey There Delilah, that's what Plain White Tees came from. Mm -hmm. And it's like, the first way I found out about the band was from another one of their songs being on this Warp Tour compilation that I got for like oh, really? five bucks. Which one was that? Do you remember? Yeah, it was uh, Take Me Away. Okay. That was uh, like the focal track on um, All That We Needed, the second the second uh, label album that they put out, which mm-hmm. had uh, Delilah as the last track. And what were kind of your feelings about you know, playing with T's in general and then Hey There, Delilah specifically when that came out? I mean, I didn't have any super strong feelings on the song at first. I thought it was like a tight power pop song. I remember I, it was towards the end of the CD, and these like Warp Tour compilations had two CDs they came with, and like twenty three tracks on each one. So this was like tracks. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of early on Warp Tour. Um, yeah, yeah. I, that one of these would honestly be fun. These CDs like, go through <laughs> ten years later, but uh, yeah. yeah, like Take Me Away was maybe track seventeen or something on one of the CDs. So. It took me a while to have any real, like, thoughts on it, but I do remember buying the CD a little bit after that, and I think it was because I liked the song a lot and maybe heard a little bit of their other stuff, but for, like, the first few months of me being into them, I didn't really specifically think of them through Hey There, Delilah. It was just this song at the end of the album, like, this sort of nice acoustic ballad that, you know, a lot of all sorts of artists would end an album with. And then it was through MySpace, I think, that I just first started noticing this groundswell of lots of fans just making it the song of Plain mm-hmm. White Tees. Yeah, so, so you, you, you mentioned in your article that like there's this specific MySpace function that you think actually like contributed to the popularity of the song. For, for those of us who weren't necessarily like up on the MySpace scene at the time, can, can you describe exactly what that was and why you think Hey There Delilah like, might, might have been like perfect for it at the time? So MySpace pages started super analog. We're talking like, <laughs> you know, the earlier days 
days of its popularity, like 04, early 05. And then they, as like HTML started to become an actual thing that people could use and put things on a site of their own, they started adding features. And one of the first early features that ad- let, let you actually customize your MySpace page was being able to take some song off of a band's MySpace page. Had to be one of the songs they had in the little player there. So it was like one of their top three or four songs they choose mm-hmm. to put. And you could take that song out of there and put it in your profile. And it would just start automatically as soon as someone came to your page. So regardless of whether or not you wanted to hear it, <laughs> before you ca- got over to yeah. click that off button, you would hear like, dun, 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 dun. hey there, Delilah. and Sweet strains of plain white tees, yeah. Um, yeah, that's... It just it because the song started got big completely organically from what I can tell and not as an, a formal single with any sort of real like label push or anything. So mm-hmm. I I do really think things like that had a big role in just mobilizing fans and getting them to spread like their actual real favorite song on the album. Yeah, and it was interesting like for me going back. I hadn't heard all that we needed before uh, going back to that album. Like I, I assumed. It would be a lot more emo than it was because of Hey There, Delilah, and because of like where they kind of went after that. Uh, but yeah, like listening to that album, it really is kind of like a straightforward power pop album. It actually, kind of reminded me of a band I think uh, you yourself saw like last weekend in uh, Cheap Trick. Yeah, Cheap like, Trick, a man, little bit. Trick's like fucking awesome. They are, and like not that you know, not this album is like full of surrenders and you know I want you to want me or anything like anything on that caliber. But like it's a very solid. It's got some some hooks. It's, it's they got get some right jams. Up. Uh, one song is like just goes crazy with the cowbell. Like, I can't remember which one, but I was particularly. Oh, it's like one. the "What Do You Want from Me" yeah, song. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So yeah, like it's, it's a lot of that. It kind of like uses some old tricks, but you know, there's kind of it, it, it's like early off production, so it, like, it doesn't sound like a throwback, but it also doesn't sound like uh, like they were riding any particular wave that was going on in the early aughts. No, what I just noticed today was the members of Plain White Tees have Spotify playlists that they've made, I think, recently. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the frontman Tom Higginson of the the influences from around his dad, mom and dad's house when he was a kid. And it's all, like, Cheap Trick, Tom Petty, Talking Heads, Joe Jackson, sure, things yeah. like that. So I feel like his influences early on weren't, like, fat wreck bands or <laughs> stuff on the Warp Tour. It was just, like catchy power pop classic rock and that makes mm-hmm. total sense from what we were saying about the sound of the album yeah but it, it does feel like like when you listen to the, the album after this which was every second counts where they actually reissued uh the hate their delilah on its own single ep but then they also included as a bonus track like they were, they were really they were really trying to hedge their bets and they also included as a, a bonus track at the end of every second counts but it seems like in between those two albums, I feel like, you know, maybe someone from a label kind of pulled them aside and was like, hey, guys, like this power puppy thing you're doing, like it's cool. But like emo and pop punk, like that's where it's at right now, because like, you can definitely you definitely hear on the next album, like a, a very concerted effort to sound more like, you know, Jimmy Eat World or the All-American Rejects, uh, you know, bands that aren't like super emo, but like definitely had a foot in that world and were ever you know, being played on radio pretty consistently at that time. And the first song that I actually ever knew by Plain White Tees was uh, the first single off, or at least, at least the first single they pushed off Every Second Counts, which is a, a, a timeless anthem called Hate Parentheses, I Really Don't Like You. Uh, that song uh, did not go to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, uh, somewhat unsurprisingly, but uh, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a little bit more indicative of where rock was at that time. And do, do you have any feelings about that song? 
Love, 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 love. Yeah, that sort of says it all right there, but uh, yeah, not not exactly like that's that's my impression of the opening of the, of the song, which I totally forgot about until I re-listened to it today. Man, that track is fucking goofy. Yeah, it is an incredibly silly song. It's man, and, and like, I mean, like really, yeah. like like the, the the album before this, like he, he doesn't really have that kind of nasal quality to his voice, and it seems like on this one he's like leaning into that as much as humanly possible. Uh, and yeah, hate is a strong word, but I really, really, really don't like you. Is, is, is the hook to that? And it, it's, 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 it is not aged well. It was not that good at the time. But yeah, they were never cool. I mean, they, <laughs> they, they definitely wrote catchy songs, and they had a good sense of hooks and songwriting and songcraft. But just like their worldview or Higginson's worldview and the lyrics that he wrote and his uh, way he externalized like relationships and things like that man a lot of it was just pretty pretty silly yeah but it did get them on the board at least it was like a billboard hot 100 hit i think it peaked at number 68 i remember seeing the video all the goddamn time when i was in college oh they, really they Wait, did, did you guys have mtv we, woody no we, we had mtv you you yeah the MTV woody awards was yeah. the was the thing it was it was like that like a video by uh you know i think like the first couple gym class heroes videos oh they, yeah they cycle through like ad nauseum and uh some who, who cat, did, uh, some cat, oh, here in your arms by our yeah, by, by Hello uh, Goodbye. Uh, constantly. The, who did uh, we've, got, we've got a big mess on our hands? Oh, Academy is Academy is yeah, that was a big one, and obviously whatever Fallout Boy was popping at the time it was, it was huge too. So I mean that was definitely like the scene at the moment, uh, and this band did not necessarily stand out from that aside from just kind of how annoying the song was. But then Hey There Delilah comes out, and I I, I was I was blown away. Like I, I it's. It's not, yeah. It's not like a particularly interesting or innovative song, but like the pure sentimentality of the song is overpowering. Uh, and like you could tell, like you know, the first couple times you heard it, you thought, oh, that's, that's kind of a nice song. But then when you started hearing it more and started picking up steam on the charts and on, on TV and stuff, you're like, oh, this song's going to be absolutely massive. Uh, like, do, do you remember like the first time you you sort of got the sense that this was going to be like a like a hit outside of the Warp Tour moment or even outside of like MTVU and kind of that scene? It was so gradual, because, I mean, the first time I would have heard of the song was around the time the album came out, which is, like, early 05, and I started college in fall 06. By that time, that was around the time that Every Second Counts came out, like, Mm -hmm. the exact time, and by then, I knew that just lots of kids were into Hey There, Delilah, but I didn't really have any sense of it as, like, a charts thing or a radio thing, and then I could just, over time notice it gradually and gradually just becoming more culturally ubiquitous where it was just like a thing Mm -hmm. and yeah back in those days it was pretty common honestly for bands coming out of the warp tour scene to cross over in that way so i really wasn't surprised when it became a number one song still like you actually you detail this in your piece and i think it's worth going into now like the other top five songs on the on the hot 100 that it hit number one i think we have uh Rihanna and Jay Z's umbrella. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on the uh, the chart beat podcast. Their their turf here. Hopefully they won't they won't mind me kind of going over their ground a little bit here. But yeah, so Rihanna Jay Z's umbrella, Fergie's big girls don't cry, Shop Boys party like a rock star, and Timbaland and Carrie Hilson's the way I are. And and the song that wasn't in the top five yet, but would eventually unseat Hey There Delilah after I think a two week run, was uh, Sean Kingston's Beautiful Girl. So yeah. obviously like. You know, maybe there were some songs crossing over, but th- it was not like the dominant sound of the charts at the time. It's a very, although it's for two consecutive number ones, two very minimal songs, both in very different ways. That and Beautiful Girls. You yeah. Mean, yeah, I guess. And two, two kind of throwbacks to very different sort of uh, pop you know, formats. Uh, but like, 
like, why, why do you think the song was able to become such a massive hit? Like, like I mean, you, you know, it, it, playing White Tees, I think it was the first rock number one, me, maybe since Nickelback. Like, I, I can't remember if there was one in between them. But, yeah. Like, uh, but you know, you know, Fall Out Boy never had a number one. My Chemical Romance never had a number one. A lot of the bands we think of as being the defining bands of that moment, Jimmy Eat World, uh, All American Rejects bands we already mentioned, none of those guys ever had a number one, but Plain White Tees did. What, what was it about this song? Yeah, it was a song you could take home to mom and dad. Sure. You know, it's a song that pretty much anyone outside far outside of that you know teenage warp tour hot topic kind of scene could get into because it's just it's like the most basic sort of universal sentiment in an acoustic pop song mm-hmm. like you know anyone who's been in love or plays the guitar or <laughs> misses someone you know it's it's all right there and yeah. it's it's and it also has that kind of ogling the wondrous New York from afar, kind of Taylor Swift welcome to New York style. Ooh, I like that. You know? Yeah, a little parallel there. Yeah, so it's, and I I think that's like why I think a lot of people found it corny because, you know, writers and critics, media people tend to be like mostly living in New York and whenever someone from like a flyover state writes about New York that way, (laughs) it's like they have to stick their noses up up at it. But yeah, that kind of shit just resonates with lots of people. Like, a longing love song involving New York. Yeah, no doubt. And like, like I said earlier, like just the sincerity of it, like it's, it's almost like shocking in a way. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously the emo movement in general was sort of known for its overt sentimentality and, and kind of just putting it all out there, heart and heart in the sleeve kind of stuff. But there's something about this song that just cut like straight to the core. And like the chorus is very simple. It's very effective. Uh, the lyrics have like just enough detail that like you don't like it, it doesn't stop it from being universal, but you do feel like he's writing about a specific feeling at a specific moment. Uh, and I also just want to like quick shout out to all songs that have ever been titled "Hey Anything." There's, hey like, jealousy. Hey, hey from Hey Ju to Hey Ya, uh, Hey Ma. Like, like there's the, you can go on and on. There's like a million hey, yeah, great hey, hey songs. Uh, and like I, I think Hey There Delilah was like a worthy entry into that into that pantheon. Uh, and and like. It doesn't always hit the mark. Like the, the, there's there's a couple lines that are kind of clunkers. Like there's that uh, even more in love with me you'll fall line, which is like, <laughs> a very obvious like inverted phrase just so that the, the so word they fall rhyme. Can, can rhyme with the line before it. But uh, like like Yoda, if if Yoda wrote, <laughs> wrote lyrics for plain white teeth, yeah, that that was the inspiration that creeped in at that moment. But uh, the the thing I, that that particularly strikes me about this song is that they basically cynic proof it. Because there's that line on the bridge where they're like, uh, you know, our, our friends will all laugh at us and we'll all laugh along because we know that none of them felt this way. And like you're listening to it, and like maybe you're you're, you're kind of looking down on them. You're thinking about like, oh, times you heard like your friends on the phone with their girlfriend that were far away, and it sounds like super cheesy and super ridiculous. And then you hear that line, and you're like, oh shit, like that, that's 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 kind of true. Maybe like there's something there. Yeah, I mean. I think a lot of people made fun of it, and I think a lot of people would still make fun of Roll Your Eyes or Plain White Tees if you talked about them now. But yeah, th- there's some there's some uh, some levels that Tom <laughs> Higginson put up, some self awareness right. for sure. You've never been like a huge fan of this song, though, right? No, I, it's never. I I never like actively disliked it. But even from just like when I was talking about the early days when I bought the album before I knew it would be a thing. It was never like one of the tracks that I always went to. It was just mm-hmm. sort of like you know, a song that I could take or leave. It was like a nice song to close out the yeah. album. I mean, I'm not drawn to the song like just I'm going to listen to it a lot more mm-hmm. now. But it is interesting to think back to songs and like how you connected with them when you were a kid. 
because my I was lame back then, and like I <laughs> impossible. I really I, I never I, believe that. I, but even then, like I definitely realized, like had them co- some cognizance that plain white tees were pretty nerdy. Mm-hmm. But man, they just had hooks and shit. They wrote good songs. I was like still into that album, but it wouldn't be an album that I would be like putting all over my MySpace page and telling people about. I wasn't, like, hiding it, but I wasn't, like, really repping it, even though I've been going back and listening to the first couple Play and White Tees albums now, and, man, those songs are are tight. I I might be kind of rewriting the lyrics in my head as I nod along (laughs) to them, but the songs are there. But back then, like, the the MySpace community would have ripped on you for your Play and White Tees representation? Uh, I mean... I don't know if anyone would have, like, called me out if I put made that the song on my page. But, yeah, some like people might have, the top eight. S- might have been, yeah, it might have been some, some low-key snark. I guess like you kind of touched on how when you grow up with songs like Hey There Delilah and they become a kind of a fundamental part of your musical identity like you often take like the things they do well for granted and like you can you can kind of you you gloss over like some of the more I don't know lyrical complexities to them or or just some of the the kind of the the hidden cleverness in their composition Uh, I think back to like a song like uh, Billy Joel's Just the Way You Are which was another song that like you know you grow up listening to it on, on like the greatest hits albums that your parents have or whatever and you don't you don't really think much about it, and then like you find out like like who it was written for, and like what happened in that relationship, and you you start paying attention to some of the lyrics, and you you, you realize there's kind of more to it there. Uh, the interesting thing with Hey There Delilah that gives it kind of uh, levels of meaning like beyond just what you hear on the radio was the the, the well circulated story about the inspiration for the song, which was uh, uh, the Olympic track and field star named Delilah Crescenzo that uh, Tom Higginson met met once at like a party. I don't think I even knew this back then. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it came it didn't I don't think it was really like public knowledge at the time that the song was out, but like within a year or two. Like definitely like when it it was nominated for the Grammys, I think for for at least for song of the year, maybe yeah. for record of the year too. Song it was a pop song by a duo or group was the second nomination okay. it had. And like I remember then like a lot of stories started coming out about this this woman who didn't even really know the lead singer, just met him once and he says like I'm going to write a song about you and she's like okay, that's great, and, you know, have a boyfriend, but whatever, go knock yourself out. But she doesn't actually think that'll do it. And then, of course, eventually, like, it becomes this world-conquering hit, and it becomes probably the thing that she's best known for today. Like, on her Wikipedia page, there's an entire, like, hey there, Delilah section. Uh, Does does that story, like, does does that make it a richer song for you? Does that just make it a creepier song? Like, what's your interpretation? Yeah, I never, I'm pretty sure I didn't know that back then. And, yeah, there is sort of, like, a weirdness to it, but... I mean, we obviously, like, don't know the details of what it was like when they met at this party or mm-hmm. whatever, but there's no reason to think that it was anything above just, like, innocuous and maybe just kind of awkward. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's funny because it, it, we mentioned how that story came out around the Grammys, which would have been in February 2008. And damn, it just makes me think how long the gestation period of that song yeah, was. Yeah, that it, is it, wild. it came out on an album that dropped, I think, in January of 2005. And it got this big moment at the Grammys over three years, like three years later. That's crazy. Yeah, like that. that is insane. And we were talking like before the podcast started about how like 
this seems like the sort of song that should have like popped off because it had like a major like you know sink in an episode of Gossip Girl or something like totally yeah it was that era too back then but uh but yeah like there there really was no one inciting incident for the popularity of Hey There Delilah just took that long for it to kind of reach its mass cultural moment and kind of get getting these small pushes here and there and then eventually climbing its way uh you know up the charts uh. But like the, the, back to the Delilah thing, like it, it, it is interesting to me just because like we, we talk about how like sincere the song is and how straightforward and how it feels like it's really like a really real moment, but it wasn't like that. That's what's crazy about it. Looking back, is that it, it was almost an aspirational love song. Like it's, it's, it was a song written about this like imagined possibility of a future that a like was never going to happen and b was never even particularly likely to happen. But it, 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 I don't know. It, it just makes the song a little bit more interesting to me to like to think back on it as this 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 moment of like just just absolute sincerity for a scenario that's just happening in the in the dude's mind and like the fact that she had a boyfriend, she's actually kind of creeped out by all of this. Like I don't know. Like it, it definitely like gives the song replay value to me to like just just think about like all the different implications of some of the some of the lines and some of the images stuff like that. Yeah, we should have gotten that boyfriend on the podcast. Yeah, really. <laughs> Uh, according to Delilah, I was reading an old interview with her. According, according to her, like he was jealous at first, but uh, she, you know, she, 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 she laid down like the the actual story, and uh, he was able to kind of get over it. He's probably some like triathlete, <laughs> like Ironman triathlon yeah. competitor. Uh, he he would be like jealous of Tom Higginson. Yeah, like, so he would be like like the '80s jock in the movie version of Hey There, Delilah, who just like is beating up the nerd and who who goes off and writes the song about her instead. And this is like a very sobering anti John Hughes script where they <laughs> sort of they the nerd musician and the hot jock girl kind of have a moment, but ultimately she stays with the jock boy. Yeah, and she's like, "Why are you writing the song about me?" <laughs> like we, we met one time at a party. I don't even really remember but, who you are. But the band, the musician, gets rich off yeah. of it. So like that's like what they get in the end. Yeah. I don't know. It's everyone's a little older, a little wiser for it. More more complex, more lifelike. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's levels to this, yeah. and 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 one of the things that you really uh, you really focus on in your piece is that actually like the biggest uh, profiteer off all of this might not have been Delilah or Plain White Tees or, or anybody we've already talked about, uh, but the song's producer, who is it was Ariel Rechide, who goes on to Rechide Rechide. Yeah, Rechstad is how I Oof, think I've heard it off. pronounced. Jeez. Well, Ariel anyway, Ariel R, who uh, goes on to be like. Uh, maybe the go-to alt-pop producer of the last decade, like, you know, Haim, Vampire Weekend, Carly Rae Jepsen, just, like, pretty much... with Adele. Yeah, wow, yeah. I, I yeah, and, like, that. not even, like, alt-pop, just, like, massive pop, period. Yeah. Uh, so, like, is there any, like, sort of inkling from, from this song that, that, that Ariel was going to go on to be this guy? I or? mean, I don't think so. It, I mean, it... I don't know anything about the actual details of the production, but it sounds like the sort of song where the producer has a very limited role. Yeah, he he's mostly the person like just making sure that nobody comes along to fuck up the song, I guess. He's, yeah, he's, basically. He's like, hey, you, you, know, you play the guitar, we'll have some like, kind of light strings in the background, but generally it's just going to be you doing it. And the, the other thing that I found really funny about your piece is, is when you talk about like the live videos where – like all the band members come on to yeah. play the song, but they're, they're kind of just sitting there twiddling their thumbs while while Higginson. Plays. There's five people in that band, and it really <laughs> at least three of them are totally unnecessary. For yeah, it really long. takes no one besides just Tom Higginson there with the guitar to perform mm-hmm. the song as it was when it was first recorded. They would bring out the entire bands for like you know late night talk show performances, stuff like that. They would have the other one. I think one of the other guitarists and the bassist maybe would 
do some vocal harmonies with him on a few isolated parts. I saw the bassist plucking like a few notes, <laughs> kind of like as the melody is like coming down. Sure. And at the very end, uh, the drummer, they have him just do a little like cymbal piece, like yeah, to outro the to outro it. Get the brushes working, maybe yeah, a triangle. Yeah. They definitely got to give somebody a triangle to work with in this. Song, and then Dave Letterman comes over and shakes all five <laughs> members' hands. Plain white tees. Wasn't that marvelous? Guys. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so obviously, Hey There, Delilah was a, was a monster hit. Nothing they do after that quite hits the same sort of heights. Uh, I remember the third single off this album, Our Time Now, uh, was, was a pretty good like pop punk song. I, I would I would have chosen that as the first single rather than Hate. I really don't like you, but. Uh, Clearly, everything worked out for them for the best. But were there were there any of like their their later hits that you have like a soft spot for? Not really. I mean, to be honest, by the time it was catching on as a big hit by like late '07, early '08, I was trying to sort of put that kind of music behind me and cover uh, it up. I was getting growing really, up and being a cool kid. I was really into college radio at the time. I um, was trying to become the music director of my radio station by like early '08. So I was just like. Yeah, guys, I'm really into that new uh, Sunset Rubdown album. <laughs> yeah, much cooler than Plain White Tees. It's definitely aged a lot better. Or not. But uh, yeah, uh, real quick, do you want to rep for uh, my personal favorite Plain White Tees song, which is a song that I think me and 10 other people on the planet even care about or remember. It's a song called Natural Disaster. Which I know I, try, I tried to get you into it. You weren't necessarily feeling yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of like latter day Plain White Tees. <laughs> and like most, most of their songs after Hey There, Delilah definitely followed this sort of you know acoustic ballad format. This is clearly like. It's, what, it's more like stuff for like Jason them. Mraz fans, like yeah. that kind of stuff. But this song, Natural Disaster, actually was like a pretty blistering pop punk song. It's got like a like an unstoppable chorus. Uh, <laughs> it, it definitely like leans into the snottiness more than like their early stuff, which. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure how, how like the other guys in the band necessarily feel about that, but it worked for that on that one. And also, like the way that uh, Hey There, Delilah might have jump-started Ariel R's career. Uh, Little-known songwriter at the time on on Natural Disasters, a guy named Ian Kirkpatrick, who uh, you know is not on the level of name recognition of Ariel Rexchad now, but uh, he he does go on to write or, or co-write, co-produce uh, some of the best pop songs the last few years. Uh, Jason Derulo's "I Want I Want You to Want Me," uh, Selena Gomez's "Bad Liar," Nick Jonas's "Levels," like, like a bunch of other like really like creative kind of mm-hmm. like just, just a little bit deeper pop songs that, that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, so you know, shout out to Ian Kirkpatrick uh, and the, the, the star making ability of Plain White Tees when it comes to their co-writers. And yeah, and with Rex Todd just going through his credits on his All Music page or whatever, all the songs that he's produced or guested on or whatever over the years, it is a very natural progression of just how, I don't know, kind of like the zeitgeist, that sounds kind of pretentious and mm-hmm. overdramatic, but just the sort of alt- guitar alternative music that people were into at whatever time, how it follows how it was shifting from from pop punk and emo into more like pitchfork indie rock at a certain sure. time and then more into this like alternative pop that we're talking about it now and if you go through what Rex Dodd has worked since like the late 90s it it just follows that in a logical way and just like pretty similar in the way that my music taste changed so yeah I feel like it's probably not even that uncommon like I remember uh like four or five years ago it, it came out that like in another life uh the guy from Blood Orange and Florence from Florence and the Machine had once like done an entire covers album of Green Day's Nimrod. Like, have you ever heard that? Yeah, and while well, he was in Test Icicles, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, so I guess this would have been what, like, oh f- four or something like that. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, but know. like, like Dev Hines, like another, like, or kinda... like this could have even been like the Lightspeed Champion years. Yeah, yeah, like another guy who like you think of as being like kind of one of the definitive alt pop guys of the last five ten years, uh, and you know, working with R and B and and and, and hip hop and pop and dance, like all, all all sorts of like sort of mainstream non rock genres, and but but he has roots in, in indie, just and and punk and underground rock in general, just like. A lot of people from that era do, I guess. Uh, so, as last question before we let you go, Chris, uh, like we were talking about, you know, could this happen again today? Like, I remember you were saying we were talking about it earlier that, like, you think that, you know, even though a lot's changed since two thousand and seven, that like you think a song like this could still like go to number one on the charts. Like, do you think do you think it actually could get that high, or just yeah. think it could still be that popular? I don't. I mean. I feel like number one these days has less to do with radio and just more to do with having a song that gets made into a meme that people like <laughs> listen to ten seconds of on YouTube or Twitter or something. So like I don't know about number one, but I think this could totally be a top forty hit again and be like a top ten song. Something mm-hmm. like, if just you know if like Ed Sheeran or like Train even made a song just like Hey There Delilah now. That's a song that there's precedent for in recent years of crossing over, whereas another sort of popular rock song from 10 years ago, like Use Somebody by Kings of Leon or I Write Sins or a big Fall Out Boy hit, I don't think a song that sounds like those would cross over in the same way now. Probably not, but you're right. Like If, if someone was going to do it, Ed Sheeran would probably be the guy. Got to get it done. All right, thank you very much, Chris Payne. Thanks coming for having me. The, yeah, the, the coming around again podcast. Hope you hope to have you going again soon. And anything else you want to plug right now? Anything else you're working on that uh, you're excited about? Um, yeah, just uh, my my podcast, which you mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, hashtag alternative facts, all one word. Fun discussions, just like this one about you know rock and alternative music every Thursday. So that, and you can get updates on all the podcasts and all my other stuff for Billboard on Twitter. My handle is at cpayne on a plane. All right, thank you very much. Shout out to Tom Higginson, and we'll see you next week. 